You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. My shop is kind of a shop that we have everything from your gear fishing to fly fishing to hunting to some camping stuff. Basically anything that you need, we're probably going to have it for the most part. Um, you know, we carry a wide selection. We we carry a large inventory, so we do have product. Uh, a lot of undiscovered fish in heaven, yeah. It's, uh, it's an area that doesn't get as much pressure as the Merritt area. We're a little further out of the lower mainland. Uh, some people think it's a little harder to fish, but it just takes a little time and a little patience. And once you figure it out, it's, uh, it's the place to be. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. We're going to chat today on the podcast with Mark Rosebroom. Mark is the owner-operator of Lone Butte Sporting Goods, a fly shop in the gateway of the southern caribou region in British Columbia, gateway to some really, really large, feisty rainbow trout. We'll chat with Mark. He's also guiding in that area with Lone Butte Fly Fishing Adventures. We'll look at the top 10 cities on the podcast in just a moment. The program is brought to you by the folks at the Fly Crate. And since 2015, the Fly Crate has taught thousands of anglers world-class fly fishing techniques, and they provide unique fly fishing flies, gear, and tackle. The Fly Crate is an American-owned company, and they are committed to helping USA veterans by dedicating 2% of sales to Project Healing Waters. Top 10 cities on the podcast this week. Thanks for listening, folks, in uh, Vancouver, B.C., Kelowna, British Columbia, Calgary, Alberta, Redding, California, Atlanta, Georgia, Bozeman, Montana, Edmonton, Alberta, Bridgen, Wales, Seattle, Washington, and Sheboygan, Wisconsin. We want to welcome Mark Roseboom to the podcast. Now, Mark runs Lone Butte Sporting Goods in Lone Butte, British Columbia, Canada, in the southern Caribou region. They've been in business for over 30 years, and Mark has a wealth of knowledge in the fly fishing game and is also a guide. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the podcast tonight. No problem. I always like to start the show off, kind of take it back to your roots find out a little bit about you, how you came to discover fly fishing. Walk us through that journey. How did it uh, start for you? Uh, growing up, uh, uh, you know, parents used to take us to uh, Merritt area, fish Tonka Lake uh, quite a bit, and Roche and uh, Stump, and uh, kind of grew on the fly fishing thing, got into the Coronami game, and uh, kind of never looked back. Yeah, those are a couple of great lakes you just mentioned there. Uh, that, was, that was where it all started. <laughs> how, how far back are we talking here? Are we talking, adult, you know, to your youth, to your... I started fly fishing at a young age, belly boats and, uh, you know, going out with the old man and paddling around the lake for a day type thing. So and, uh, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Chilliwack. My parents owned a dairy farm in Greendale and, uh, yeah, grew up along the Better River there. Did a lot of days uh, spring fishing and steelhead fishing and coal. Yeah, the, I know those waters. So you're you're on the like the the likes of the Chehalis and the, the Upper oh, yeah. Chilliwack, the Vetter. Exactly. Yeah, no, there's some uh, so, some busy water, but some definitely some productive water back in the day. wasn't wasn't so busy as it is nowadays, but uh, definitely uh, definitely was uh, 
a lot of fun. I kind of miss it uh, living up in the Caribou now. I don't get down there as often as I would like. So, so tell us about the transition from Chilliwack to Lone Butte, because that's got to be a bit of a, a game changer. Oh yeah, that was uh, that was jumping in with both feet. Uh, so it was a framer after high school, and uh, Chilliwack started to get too busy for uh, my lifestyle, and uh, came upon a store that was for sale, and went to the bank, and they said sure. That's awesome. So, so you owned the store. Do you know how many people I talk to on this podcast that it's their dream to own or run a fly shop, a fly fishing business? So walk us through that journey. Tell us how that shift was for you when you bought the business and and and, and what's it been like? Uh, it was uh, it was an eye opener. I mean, uh, never done retail basically in my uh, my life prior to, so it was. Uh, you know, most people uh, don't get the opportunity because uh, funds restrict them or uh, or uh, you get scared, so to speak. And my life was at a point where I could make that decision and make it happen. And it's uh, been a lear- learning curve ever since. Uh, at the time, there wasn't much to the store. Nowadays, we uh, we got a lot of stuff and we, we do a lot of different things. I noticed, so, so you guys offer a guiding service out of your shop. Um, yep. Lone Lone Butte Fishing Adventures. Tell us about that and how that journey's been for you. Well, you know how it is with a store. You, you get to do what you love doing and uh, talk to customers all day that get to go fishing, and you're stuck uh, six days a week, seven days a week, uh, making sure the shop's running good. So my idea of uh, getting to go fishing changed from, hey, i got to make this a business so that I can actually uh, say I'm working and going fishing. Amen to that. So does that, it's an odd transition when you decide to do something you truly love for a living, because let's face it, it does change the game a little bit. And maybe speak to that. How, how has it changed your outlook in fly fishing and, and your day to day with your day job? Uh, it, it makes you like going to work. I mean, there's pros and cons to any job you do, but, uh, it definitely makes it easier. Um, you know, if, the, the big deal, big change for me was uh, learning a heck of a lot more in the industry and about fishing and about hunting and everything that goes along with it. It's, uh, you know, you basically immerse yourself in it and you don't really get to come up for air sometimes, but uh, the industry is always changing. Well, it's got to be nice to be doing something for a living that you absolutely love. I mean, they say that if you you love it enough, you're not really working. Is Is there some truth to that? Some days, yes. <laughs> um, That's honest. You know, any job you have is going to have its ups and downs, right? Uh, you know, as long as the ups are better than the downs, then it's a, it's a good day. You know, we get to make money doing things we'd like to do and uh, keeping keeping the fun going. Um, I like to see people out there fishing and enjoying the outdoors, and and uh, that's, that's why I'm in it. When you came to discover fly fishing... Mark, if you, could you name somebody or a couple of people that were really influential in your learning curve and, and helping you kind of figure things out? Well, to be honest, it was a family learning curve. I mean, we started off uh, when we were really young, you know, we trolled flatfish and wedding bands and stuff like that. And then, you know, you would see the guys that started fly fishing and were very much more productive than what we were doing. And it looked like a lot more fun. There's something about having no engine going and anchoring and watching that indicator or casting on a shoal 
uh, you know, slowly retrieve and I'm feeling that fish bite it. Um, it's, uh, and then of course, watching guys like Brian Jan and, uh, Skip Morse and, and Phil Rowley doing their thing. I mean, there, there isn't anybody more influential in the game than those guys, especially at this, this stage of the game. I, they've been around a long time. Yeah. You're, you're naming some, some all-star cast there for sure. I, I, you know, it's funny how you just verbalize that because I, I feel the same way. Like I came from, you know, most people started before they got into fly fishing, maybe trolling a, a flatfish uh, from, from a tin boat or uh, even then trolling a fly around a Spratly, that type of thing. But once you, you're right, it, you, you look at somebody that's fishing crannies with a strike indicator, or you look at somebody that's retrieving a damsel and they're into fish after fish after fish. I remember as a kid looking over going, what, what are they doing? I need, I need to do that. I also remember that the time it took to get productive at fishing like that, there was a big learning curve that was unproductive. Yeah. And you had to stick with it. Tell us about your, your journey with that. So how did it start for you? Was it, was it trolling, uh, uh, you know, like on a wet line uh, behind the boat or casting? That's, yeah. So that's kind of where it started. Um, you know, it was just trolling a fly and, you know, slow paddle, um, you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, then it turned into ground mid fishing. And with all of that, I progressed into fly tying and, you know how you said who who kind of got you going in the industry. We started taking some lessons from uh, Dart and Tackle back in the day, going into Fred uh, Fred Homer's. Yeah. And uh, Fred Wardropers uh, was around at that time in Chilliwack. And uh, yeah, you know, take some lessons. I ended up actually tying some flies for uh, for a couple of the stores down there for a while, and it uh, you know, and then once you turn eighteen. Uh, or 16 you get a driver's license and you start venturing to some of these lakes with uh with some of the buddies and yeah it just kept going what's your go what's your way your go-to way to fish right now would it be out of a pontoon or like a spratly type boat what's your what's your craft of choice in your waters oh man the problem with the caribou is one boat doesn't do it all yeah it depends on the size of the lake you want to go to so i've actually i have a lot we when we ventured into guiding, we actually went back to the gear fishing because we found people want to fish many different ways. So we started out with the gear fishing. In the last couple of years, we started switching back over to the fly fishing as well. So now we're adding another boat this year. We're going to fish the small waters again. Um, I really like fishing out of a boat because you have so many more options for uh, which weed bed you want to fish on which side of the lake. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, the Caribou is one of these areas. You start looking at a lake like Sheridan, and it's a big lake. You know, to go out there in a in a float tube or a pontoon boat, you, it's pretty daunting if you're if you want to fish the other side of the lake. Right, and that's that's so true. Like, I, I worked in a fly shop probably 40, 30 years ago, and I always remember my old boss talking about uh, boats and. He'd say, you know, it's like asking for a Corvette that's good in the bush. It's good for a certain thing, but you need lots of different tools out there. You know what I mean? It's like exactly. you, you need, you might need the pontoon boat. You might need the belly boat even. Some guys are still using, but you also need that tin boat or that Spratly or that that bigger, uh, you know, flat bottom boat that you can anchor, double anchor and, and, and kind of lock onto a shoal. So t- tell us about the fishing in your area. I'm really curious because you're really in the, in the, the heart of British Columbia, Stillwater, you know, big fish, crony patterns. Dial us in on, on the fishing in, in your neck of the woods. 
Okay, uh, that's a pretty broad question right there because we've got so many different styles of lakes. We got lakes, uh, you know, small lakes like Irish Lake or Simon, um, where fishing the shoals or fishing Karani's, you know, you can do it from a pontoon boat or a tin boat. Um, you know, you get dialed in on those hatches and things things can happen, magic can happen. We got some big fish. Mm-hmm. And then you can go to a lake like Sheridan and do the deep water Karani fishing or late fall fishing where those fish are very aggressive and up in that shallow water. So it's uh, it's one of these areas where you, you can, you know, you really got to get used to the way the fishing happens up here. It's a lot different than Merritt, I found. So Merritt is pretty much, as long as you were in, you know, 15 to 20 feet of water, there was going to be a hatch and you were catching fish on carotinates, right? Mm-hmm. Up here, it's a lot more uh, sporadic and you got to kind of, work with those hatches a bit more and be dialed in a lot quicker. Well, when you're fishing a lake like Sheridan, that's, that's a big body of water. How, how important is it to find those hatches? I mean, you could be, are you using binoculars? Are you just cruising the flats? How are you finding those hatches on bigger water? A lot of it is going to be experience on a lake like Sheridan. If you don't put in some time on the lake, you're really not going to know it. And you know, it's a big body of water. Things do change. Uh, you know, from 10 years ago, we weren't doing deep water coronamid fishing to today we're doing that deep water coronamid fishing and, uh, talking to fisheries, they got some different ideas on why that's happening. Um, we'll see what happens in the next couple of years. And if they, uh, got any plans to, uh, get the fishing back to where it was, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it can be, uh, it can be very uh, challenging and that's where that's where having the right boat for that type of water comes in um i use you know you're looking for other people that are fishing out there you're going to be looking for those hatches uh technology so uh, fish finders we we do our guide boats have a lot of money in fish finders for uh for lake fishing to be honest mm-hmm. and it definitely helps if you can find the fish you can figure out what they're eating and and uh go from there yeah, and find the depth too, right? If you know, exactly. if they're if they're suspended or speak to I that. I find that a lot. I'm really curious, Mark, to hear you speak to crony fishing in particular, because I know that's really big in your area and and through almost the entire interior of British Columbia, let alone yep. you know a larger part of North America, because that's it's such a huge such a huge food group for for the fish i mean i've read that they're basically 50 percent of their diet can be can be cronies and chronomids and speak to that like what is how do you when you approach a lake like sheridan or some of your favorite um lakes that you're you're frequenting where do you start um a lot of times you know word of mouth is kind of get getting to us before we even go to a lake up here so we got an idea of how people were doing a few days before and that's a benefit of owning a store um you know you get that information on a regular basis uh first thing first look for fish moving second thing look for activity for for bug activity whether they're hatching and then of course you're relying on your a lot of times on your electronics on your fish finders to kind of find where the fish are are moving you know they they might be in 10 feet of water they might be in five feet of water they might be in 50 feet of water so it's it's more just kind of going down the steps and and working that process and eventually finding some fish 
What's your go-to way to fish chronometers? Are you fishing a lot of dry lines with indicators or, or sink tips? Are you fishing uh, straight sink, you know, in the, the deep, deep water? Sheridan, we do a lot of the, the deep six type fly lines. Uh, you know, you're basically fishing that 50 to 100 feet of water when that deep water chronometer fishing is going on. Um, I I love fishing a small lake with nobody else, nobody else out there and, you know, doing the chronometer fishing. Uh, I always find that magic is that 10 to 20 feet of water. I, that's, that's kind of my magnet, yeah. so to speak. And, uh, yeah, once it gets going, it's, you got her. What's a go-to, what's a go-to pattern for you when you're heading out there for, for chronomids? I always like a number 14 and a brown or a black dark, dark olive is always good. Um, yeah. Like a dirty olive? Dirty olive. Yeah. 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 Uh, depending on uh, the other thing with the caribou is you have different water colors to deal with as well. So patterns that work in one lake don't necessarily work in another lake. Um, you know, you get that real dark brown water versus that light olive water, or you yep. go to a lake like Sheridan and it's super clear. Yeah, that's a game changer when it comes to fishing chronomids. And you need to get real stealthy on those clear waters, and it, that can really be difficult. It can, yeah. And uh, those fish learn that a lot. They they know to avoid those boats at times. How important is fluorocarbon for you? Uh, I use it a lot. If I if I'm chronometer fishing, I'm using fluorocarbon. Yeah. Mostly as a tippet, but uh, yeah, definitely using fluorocarbon. Are you fishing with a swivel? I do. Yes. Uh, depending on the depth that we're fishing. If I'm fishing ten feet of water, I'm not fishing a swivel. But if uh, I'm fishing that. Uh, 20 feet of water i'm definitely using a swivel in there yeah and how far is your chronometer from your swivel i uh, usually usually three to four feet i don't i don't stretch yeah. it out too much um we get a little longer if we're like we'll fish 30 to 35 feet without uh going to a sink tip or a sinking line it's uh it gets interesting to cast that among the line but it's uh definitely worth it are you a big believer in tungsten or what are you using for weight um, yes, uh, tungsten definitely helps to get down there, you know, doing a loop knot, uh, definitely allows for a little bit more movement in the fly, a little bit more natural movement. Um, uh, using the swivel, it definitely helps as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Fluorocarbon helps it sink as well versus mono, right? Are you using tapered leaders? Are you just using like straight? Uh, straight line off your, you know, like straight uh, mono to fluoro off your off your dry. Um, I use tapered, uh, you know, fishing that, uh, let's say, 10 to 20 feet or even 5 to 20 feet, let's say. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, getting into that deeper depth, we're going to be adding tippet to it to uh, make them a little longer, stretch them out a little bit. But uh, anything deeper than that, we're, we're tying our own uh, tapered leader, so to speak. So we'll stretch right. out those uh those links a little bit to make it a little bit more castable and yeah are you double anchored uh, as often as i can yeah um we're gonna try something new this year for our deep water coronet fishing and that's one real hard part of when you're starting to talk you're sitting over 60 feet of water is how do you stay there without swinging all over the place so uh we're we're gonna be putting a garmin uh, uh electric motor on the bow of uh, our big boat this year and it's got the spot lock on it and everything. So, Ah, that's interesting. So yeah. regardless of whatever happens with the wind, or it just holds you in that position? It'll keep you there, yeah. And 
Fireman's Technology has gone a step further this year with that electric motor. They're using a brushless uh, brushless motor in there, so you get less noise and hmm. uh, a lot more runtime, a lot more efficiency out of it. Is that a bow mount? That is that is a bow mount, yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting to me. Is that new? I haven't seen anybody doing that. It is. Well, Minkota's been doing it for a bunch of years uh, with the bow mount uh, motors. Uh, I think Garmin took it a step further this year. It uh, connects right to your fish finder. You can autopilot with the thing, and uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> it makes you makes you wonder what the heck we ever did before all this technology. Oh, I know. And then they got a new transducer out the last couple of years called a live scope. I don't know if you've seen that. I I haven't. I well, I shouldn't say I haven't. I haven't seen it firsthand. I've seen videos of it. It is. It takes it to another level if you're trying to find fish. Yeah, really it looks does. like I looks like I got some homework to do here before the uh, before the ice thaws. So, so are you it, selling that in your shop? We do. It's it's pricey though. What what are they worth? Uh, live scope transducer is a couple thousand bucks. Okay. But uh, to give you an idea, what I will do if you anchor off of a shoal and you're not sure where the fish are, what depth of water they're sitting in, if they're suspended, you can actually take that thing and scan the shoal, and it basically shows you a fish underwater 3d live and you can <laughs> see how far off the bottom they are uh which direction they're moving it's uh yeah it's wow something. that is amazing how is it for battery life i find the the more you know the fancier some of these electronics get then the battery life tends to suffer is it do you have to be careful with that uh yeah definitely um you know we've upgraded some of our stuff to lithium batteries Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, we don't seem to have as much of an issue, but you'll get a full day out of a 10-amp-hour ba- lithium battery on one of those units. We're chatting today with Mark Roseboom out of Lone Butte Sporting Goods in Lone Butte, British Columbia, uh, talking all things caribou. Uh, now, so, Mark, let's talk about your shop. I, I, some of the brands you got in there, I was looking looking up. Uh, you've got a lot of the the staples in Echo, Hardy, Fenwick, Orvis, Reddington, Rio, S.A., uh, tell us about your shop and, and just kind of walk us through that. All right. Um, my shop is kind of a shop that we have everything from your gear fishing to fly fishing to hunting to some camping stuff. Basically anything that you need, we're probably going to have it for the most part. Um, you know, we carry a wide selection. We, we carry a large inventory, so we do have product. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of in the gateway to a lot of fish in heaven. Uh, a lot of undiscovered fish in heaven, yeah. It's uh, it's an area that doesn't get as much pressure as the Merritt area. We're a little further out of the lower mainland. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people think it's a little harder to fish, but it just takes a little time and a little patience. And once you figure it out, it's uh, it's the place to be. What strains are you fishing for up there? Are we talking blackwater? Are we talking panask? What, what, what are most of the rainbows in, in your neck of the woods? We have both species. We have triploids and we have diploids. We have uh, blackwaters. We have panask. Um, we have a new strain of fish that they're starting to work with called the horsefly strain. Yeah. Um, supposed supposed to be a lot more aggressive than a blackwater. Uh, maybe take care of some of the red-sided shiners in some of the lakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they're going to be a they're a fighting fish. They're really wonderful to catch, actually. What, I was going to ask you what your favorite strain of, of, of rainbow to, is to fish for in, in your area. Like, uh, what do you like to target? Uh, 
honestly, uh, now that these horse slides are in some of our lakes, they're definitely the direction we're going. Huh. Yeah. So do they, are they, um, mostly after insects or are they also like after minnow patterns and whatnot? These horse fly will go after minnow patterns. They're, they're, they're perciferous fish, uh, somewhat like the black water. And the black water is, uh, depending on what lake it's in, you'll actually get them that they start eating, eating small fry and, yeah. and shiners as well. Um, Do they get aerial? Oh yeah. See, that's, yeah. that's always been my kind of pet peeve with blackwater strain. Cause I, I mean, they're, they're big and they're beasts and they're, they're after the, you know, they love the bait fish through my experience, but I always find they, 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 they take you on some wild runs, but it, they don't like the air, like the Panasque. Yeah. The horse fly, they, they definitely, uh, when you're hooking into them, they definitely fight. Huh. Uh, Williams Lake area has got a few more lakes with, uh, with the horse fly, but it's definitely, uh, going to be something that they're looking at for different lakes around here. Interesting. I got to yeah. get up your way and it's really not that far. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I got to be up there. Um, <laughs> I'm going to make sure, make sure you like me up. Give me a heads up. I, I'll be coming through your shop. Don't worry. I want to ask you, I want to get to know you a little bit. I'm going to ask some, some quick fire questions. You ready for this, Mark? I'm not sure, but we'll see. (laughs) What's your favorite tunes to listen to on the way to the water? What do you listen to music wise? Oh man. To be honest, I, I don't, I, uh, I keep her quiet and just relax. I like it. That's honest. You know what? Not everybody wants to be listening. I've talked to guys that won't listen to metal, uh, Metallica. I talked to people that are listening to all kinds of stuff on the way to the water country, Johnny Cash, you name it. Yeah. But that's, you make it yours, right? You know what I mean? And, and that's cool. What about sports? Let's talk sports. Are you, uh, Canucks, Lions, Whitecaps, Seahawks? Who's your, who's your go-to? Uh, I'm a Canucks fan through and through. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you got to support your local team, so to speak. Oh, you're from Chilliwack, you, yeah, right. You got yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Hey, what's your favorite place to talk fly fishing? Now, I know in in, in your world, you're actually working in a fly shop, running a fly shop, you're guiding all the time. But is there like a a, a pub or a, you know a watering hole, a a coffee shop that you like to chat fishing? Uh, well, we actually got a pub, uh, or we well pub slash family restaurant now that's right across the street from us the iron horse uh pretty famous place uh yeah probably the best prize in town and you can talk fishing you can talk fishing yeah it's uh everybody ends up there if you come through the highway 24 what's one fly pattern that you just can't live without oh one fly pattern i just can't live without balanced leech Ah, me too. What color? Uh, I have this thing for that UV kind of bluish black. <laughs> Man, you know what? You're talking my language there because that's our go-to. Blue, black, or even purple, but blue, black always works. Yeah. I, I'm, you... I'm starting to switch over to those balanced dragons, though. I, I, I haven't been able to make them work 100% yet, but I want to. Yeah, I see that work, and I see some of the posts on some of the sites, and I'm looking at it going, yeah, I think I need to start tying those. I could see those working for sure. Now, the, one, the... the one thing the caribou is famous for that uh, not a lot of people uh, catch on to is mayflies. Oh, yeah. We get we get some huge mayfly hatches on lakes that you wouldn't think of it. So uh, Horse Lake and Bridge Lake and Lac de Roche, 
and they're not mm-hmm. known as rainbow fisheries, but uh, well, lactarosas, but uh, bridge and horse definitely are not known as ra- rainbow fisheries. But uh, we'll catch we'll catch we'll catch kokanee on on the on the mayflies. How do you like to fish those mayflies? Are you fishing the mergers? Are you fishing the nymph? Are you uh, on an indicator? How does that work for you? Usually, we're fishing them on an indicator with a slow, slow retrieve. Nice. Yeah. Kind of those small gray ones, right? Those dark gray. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pheasant tail nymphs, hares yeah, ears. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those type of flies are definitely going to be productive. What's the biggest lesson you've learned from fly fishing? Yeah. yeah. A lot of times you get off the water too quick or you're changing that fly too quick because nothing's happening. And yeah, seeing that guy across the lake catching more fish. When you're not fly fishing, you're usually doing what? Working. <laughs> you're working at fly fish. <laughs> yeah, or fishing another method or hunting. Okay. What kind of hunting do you do? Whitetails, muleys? Uh, we have lots of whitetails and muleys. Uh, we started doing lots of lots of flying hunts and backpack hunting. Yep. So, are you a uh, a bow guy or rifle? What do you What do you? Believe it or not, I started out as a bow guy and I switched to rifle for a while. Ah. Now I'm back to bows again. It's come full circle. Yeah. Yeah. I used to do some bow hunting, and I totally get that. That for me, that's yeah. Anyway. Uh, it's been a long time, but I can see the, there's so much excitement in that because you're so close to the animals and you're, I don't know, it's 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 like it's like comparing fly fishing to spin fishing for me. It's just a different game. It is, it is, yeah. What's the best job you've ever had? Uh, I'm doing it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, I believe it, 100%. So I want you to paint a picture for us. If you could harness your inner artist and kind of think about your perfect day on the water. Like when does it start in the morning? What type of water are you fishing? How are you fishing? Describe a, an ideal day for you in the, in the Southern caribou. Oh man. You're making me think. Well, what does it look like? You know, you're waking up, the coffee's on. Calm water early in the morning. Uh, no music. No music. A little bit of frost. Uh, you know, sun just coming up. Start out the day uh, maybe with some leech leech fishing and uh, transitioning into that crownmet fishing, delta fishery, and then uh, finish the day off and have a good relaxing day with the family. You know, it's it's funny you said like the crowny fishing doesn't usually get going until a little later in the day. So I I'm totally with you on that. Start with something bigger, start with a balanced leech when it's a little cooler. And once you get to around 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, then switch over. Exactly. Yeah. It sounds like we're fishing very similar water, even though it's a ways away. Um, I'm going to ask you if you've had any weird or wonderful things happen to you on the water. You got any crazy fish stories you can dial us in on? Ah, well, crazy, crazy having lake trout take your kokanee while it's on the line right behind the boat <laughs> not so much fly fishing but that's 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 one of the crazier ones especially when it's 20 to 30 pounds did you land the lake trout uh no no <laughs> yeah because i well i would imagine the hook wouldn't stick right uh, I, 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 we've we've had lake trout come right up to the side of the boat with the kokanee but uh watching them actually take a fish while it's on the line like if like right behind the boat yeah, yeah, that's that's probably one of the coolest ones for me. Um, 
what else have we had? We've had uh, bears and deer swimming swimming nearby. That's always neat. How many loons have you caught? Uh, believe it or not, I have more had more problems with loons in the Merritt area than I do up here. Yeah, that's I sure. believe it. Um, well, they're they get accustomed to it, to being fed, I think. And they're, they're down south. Yeah, yeah. You know that noisy click reel that you you started out with twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where it, my parents finally got rid of that just to avoid loons. Well, you, where I'm at, you can even just kind of pretend to have a fish on, and if there's a loon near you, they're diving. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I've I've had a couple funny incidents with that. Um, is there anything you'd like to see us do differently in the pastime of fly fishing? Is there anything that kind of irks you, or, or maybe you think we can do better? Oh, well, there's a lot of things we can change, but it's not us as fishermen so much. It's more the government and how they manage some of the lakes. Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, lakes that get a lot of pressure. I'd like to see the rigs uh, change maybe a little faster and accordingly so that those lakes don't uh, take too much of a beating. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a fishery for everybody to use and enjoy. So and That's one thing I actually think that, that they've done really well with is, is kind of, you know, choosing your trophy lakes, choosing your yeah. family lakes, it never used to be like that. It was kind of a one size fits all. And I think, you know, when you start looking at lakes like Sheridan, like some of the lakes in your neck of the woods that produce some really large fish, maybe those regs need to be a little different because you are attracting a different type of uh, fisher. Uh, yeah. And we're starting to see that, you know, some of those small lakes, we got people driving out four hours just a day trip on some of those lakes because it's not as busy as other areas. And they do have that chance for that 10 plus, 10 plus pound rainbow. Um, mm. You know, uh, a couple of lakes have uh, been very popular over the last couple of years. Uh, yeah. Well, if you if you want to get into double digit fish, you're probably right in the, in the heart of that. <laughs> yeah, there's... Uh, there's definitely some big fish, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely worthwhile. Yeah. I don't know so, infrastructure to go along with with the pressures that we're getting is the next uh, next step for us. I'm definitely advocating for uh, for better infrastructure like boat launches and outhouses and stuff like that. Sure, that yeah, makes sense. Make it make it user friendly. Parking, good stuff. Um, if somebody wants to get up into uh, Lone Butte area, fish the the Caribou region with yourself on a guided trip, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, we definitely respond to either social media, Facebook, Instagram. We got the uh, our website. Uh, give us a call at the store two five zero three nine five two two one seven or our email address. And what's your if looking for hashtags on Instagram or or on Facebook? What's the best way to to find you there? Uh, Hashtags on uh, Instagram is going to be uh, LB Sporting Goods. And then you'll see us uh, do a lot of hashtags for Fishing Highway 24. I, I want to thank you, Mark, for taking the time tonight and, and talking all things caribou. I uh, hope to see you in the shop in person one day soon, and, and I wish you a great season on the water. Thank you. You've been chatting today with Mark Roseboom. Mark is out of Lone Butte. Lone Butte Sporting Goods. He guides with Lone Butte Fishing Adventures, and they've got a, a full-service fly shop, amongst other things, hunting, fishing, you name it, in Lone Butte, British Columbia. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by 
theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Thank you.